Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the TC Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. We have a great show planned for you this week. The guest is none other than Allison Risk, the number 19-ranked tennis player in the world. Allison was a great guest, a blast to talk to, very generous with her time, the 11-year tour vet. Broke into the top 20 for the first time at the end of 2019. It was the best year of her tennis life and her personal life as well, getting married 12 days after that Wimbledon quarterfinal run. To Stephen Armitrage, who's cousins with our, our Prakash Armitrage, so we had to bring that up as well. But Allison was very open about her career, how she stuck with tennis during the low points, her upbringing in Pittsburgh, and, and a lot of other great topics, including how her father is very similar to a Robert De Niro character. Yeah, meet the parents. That would be the one. She talks about how she embraces being a grass court specialist, loves playing on that surface, what she's looking forward to upcoming, when tennis does resume, and much, much more. It's Allison Risk on the TC Live podcast, and the show starts right now. All right, our guest this week is fresh off her return to the court at the recent UTR Pro Match Series event in West Palm Beach. And after a run in 2019 and early 2020, that's been unquestionably the best in her tennis and personal life. Born and raised in Pittsburgh, PA, she's currently ranked 19th in the world. That's fourth highest among Americans. It's my pleasure to welcome to the TC Live podcast, Allison Risk. Allie, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. That was quite the intro. Uh, anytime I, I can go on a podcast with that intro, I'm here for it. <laughs> we got we to gotta set the tone and the bar high, so that way, if it you know if it comes back to earth, at least we started strong. So that's my mentality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you killed it. Best I'm foot, here for it now. <laughs> best foot forward for sure. Um, you know, I got to start with this. You know, that UTR event, and I know you're on the ground floor with this stuff, but just getting back onto the court, I know it wasn't completed. Um, we're going to crown you the unofficial official champion because you were in the final. But just to get back just to get back out onto the court, what was that like? I know this is uncharted waters for a lot of people, one of the longest, probably the longest layoff you've had in quite a bit. What was it like to just get right. back out there and play some competitive tennis? Honestly, it was amazing. Um, it just felt so good to be back doing, you know, what the only thing that I do and um, to be able to train for it too, honestly, was my favorite part just because it gave structure to my day and it gave me my, you know, somewhat of a normal routine to follow each day. So um, it was awesome. It did end um abruptly and not in the manner that you know we had all expected but I will definitely take that uh the champion title even though you know I didn't necessarily play in the final I will happily accept that and um yeah it was just really good to be competing obviously against you know girls that are also you know at the top of the game and just to kind of see where we are I mean I did take a, a month off after Indian Wells and um, then I, I trained for a month uh, prior to this event so it was nice just to see where we are and to see what we can improve and um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly very sad it's over. I'm, I, I wish there was another one this weekend. <laughs> what, uh, what was the training like? You mentioned taking a week off, and I think a lot of other athletes too, not just tennis players, have, have been trying to deal with it as best they can. What was the training like when you mm-hmm. eased back into getting in shape and then ultimately when we were allowed to you know, get outside and you know, in the Florida, Georgia area to play some tennis? What was your, your training like going into uh, getting back in shape? Yeah, um, I actually, I, I took a month off, not just a week. So after Indian Wells, I did take a full four weeks off. And I, I was keeping active doing fitness or what I could do with my fitness. Um, so I stayed in shape that way, but I didn't touch a racket. So once this uh, UTR event came on the calendar, um, my coach, Billy Heiser, he would drive to Orlando um, and hit with me. USCA is closed. Um, so we fortunately were able to use an academy that Jorge Tadero and Jay Gooding own that's not too far from the USA campus is still in Lake Nona. Um, so they were generous enough to let us use the courts and um, that worked out extremely well. They actually had a couple of juniors that I was able to, to play some points against too and just train with. Um, but I think the hardest thing for me during that time was, yes, I was getting in tennis. I didn't necessarily put in you know, as long of sessions as I would necessarily do if, you know, hey, Wimbledon's around the corner or something. But um, I did put in time. And um, the tricky part was just the fitness. You know, we, my gym's closed. uh, USGA gym's also closed. So I was doing a lot of body weight bands. Um, obviously still had the ability to run and do, do long distance and sprints, et cetera. But it just, um, you know, wasn't necessarily ideal. However, coming out of it, I actually, my body felt better than a lot of previous times. And I actually think it was kind of an interesting thing because I always lift fairly heavy and it might not be the best thing for my body. So there might be a little bit of a silver lining out of this quarantine time, but, um, I'd say the fitness aspect was the trickiest part um, and still currently is. My gym has opened, but I'm just a little hesitant to go back in it right now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that, uh, you know, it, it honestly was awesome just to, just to get in some tennis time and, and to be training. Yeah, I would imagine uh, getting back onto the court, especially and using some different muscles that uh, you know might not have been the focus before, has you, have you feeling a little different, a little little sprier and, and alley. It just yeah, it's kind of crazy to think. I mean, do you ever think about the fact that you've been playing pro tennis for eleven years? Not not trying to call you dated at all, but you know, turn pro in two thousand nine. Does it does it does it feel like it's gone by pretty fast? In your opinion, sadly, yes, and. Um, Honestly, this was one of the first times where I have been really able to be reflective. I mean, because we're so caught up in, you know, the season and everything that's going on. And even in off season, you know, you're looking forward to the next, you know, January and you have something to look forward to here now. It's like, wow, like I, gosh, I miss it so much. And, uh, you know, it really brings to light what the tour means to me and all the moments that I've had and the places I've been, the people I've met and just like the hunger to be able to do it again, especially because I am 29 and who knows how long I can play. Obviously I, you know, I hope I have some Serena in my blood, but I don't know if I do um, to take it, you know, for a lot, a longer uh, time than, than a lot of others. But yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting thing. And, um, I've really enjoyed this time for that reason alone, just um, to really um, be able to look back on my career and and to see how far I've come and, and, and the things that have had to fall into place to get me to where I am now. And 
um, being at my highest ranking, I am hungry and I am excited for more and to not have, you know, anything definite on the calendar is a little bit of a, a, a struggle, but um, we're all in it together and, you know, there's nothing that we can do besides wear our masks, I guess. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that that's out of our control and um, in all honesty, I've really enjoyed this time and it's, um, I think it's been a really reflective period and uh, it makes me extremely grateful for the things that have brought me to this point. For sure. And uh, I know you have two siblings that were older that played tennis. Uh, do you ever wonder, I know you signed that national letter of intent to go to Vanderbilt and follow, and follow in your sister's <laughs> footsteps. And it's easy to look back now, but do you ever wonder what that path would have looked like if you would have been a college tennis player? Yeah, it would have looked a whole lot different than what it looks like now. I can tell you that. Um, you know, I am very much, I do think about that and I 100% know that I made the exact right decision because uh, this time on tour has really um, helped me to realize my personality and who I am and, you know, what makes me tick and everything else. And so I just know that if I had to have tried to play tennis and tried to get, you know, uh, a passing grade at Vanderbilt, I would have absolutely been a disaster. I would have been so stressed out. I would have been worried. I probably, who knows what would be wrong with me at this point. So (laughs) I'm just really, I'm really happy that I I chose this route. I was able to devote all of my energy, all of my mental capacity to one thing and I'm not a multitasker. So uh, I probably would have, you know, I probably would have gotten through. It would have been extremely difficult for me. And um, I can only say, thank God I chose this way. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it's, it's, turned out to be the right the right direction 11 years on tour alley and you're starting to see the fruits of your labor ranked in the top 20 career high end of the year ranking last year i'm just going to ask i mean it's so impressive that 11 years that you've been grinding on tour and that you've finally gotten to that point what what kept you going and what you know kept pushing through because we've seen a lot of players men and women that you know it's tough to be a lower ranked player and keep it going and keep the motivation there where does where did that hunger come from for you that's so true. Um, look, I think um, from the beginning of my career, uh, I'm talking about back when I was, you know, eight years old, I never liked tennis. You know, obviously now I do, but I'm saying back when I was a junior, I never liked it. Um, it was a struggle for me. And the one thing that I always kept coming back to that drew me to tennis was the competition. I loved the feeling of winning. I love to put myself out there, be in a battle. And I think that's the one thing that's always kept me going is, that I can be better, that I can do better. And I always felt like I had the game to be at the top, but it just wasn't happening. And I think my mentality kind of held me back. And I just, I was a little bit of a late bloomer emotionally. Um, I very often, you know, cared what people thought, how people maybe were perceiving me, you know, how all these things that, you know, were out of my control, but they kind of dictated my mentality. So I, you know, it took a while for me to overcome that and um, feel like I belonged at the top and that my mentality finally matched my game. So um, I just think I knew that if I could put more attention to my mentality and work with a sports psychologist that I believed in, that um, I would finally be putting attention to something that never got the proper attention. And so, you know, yes, I probably wish I had, you know, done that sooner or found that person sooner, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't the time for me. And so um, I think that's where maturity came in and 
uh, it just kept me going to think that, hey, I still have the best in front of me. You know, I still, right. I still have an upside. And I think my coach has been huge in that regard. Um, he believes in my upside fullheartedly. And he knows that, you know, on my good days, I can, you know, compete and be, you know, the best players in the world. So I think to have that behind me um, is strongly encouraging. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Right, it's Allison Risk here on the TC Live podcast. Uh, that's very well said. And uh, I, I was digging back into, into the past and, and kind of trying to figure out where you've you've improved. And you know, looking at the end of the 2017 season when you're ranked 70th to 2019 when you're 18th, it kept coming back to the serve for me. Uh, the service mm-hmm. numbers were all up. The aces were higher. The percentage of points won, and and big points won. Was that something that tactically in the last couple of years you've you know, been focused on? Was that uh, in the off season, something you strove to work on specifically? Definitely. Look, I think, um, you know, my serve's not, it's not going to be a serve like Pushkova or Sabalenka and get me a ton of free points. But I do have the ability to get better placement, to add a little bit more pop on the shot and just to set me up for a better first ball. And so my serve has kind of always been a love-hate relationship and something that, you know, um, has been a huge focus of my game, no matter what coach I've worked with, no matter what. Um, just because my ground shows have always been um, a big, you know, strength in my game, my return. I, I feel like I would uh, break people more than I would hold serve. And so if we could have just, you know, got a little control on that serve and put a little bit more emphasis on it and start holding serve a little, just a little bit more often, my gosh, what could happen so even to this day I mean that's something we're constantly working on and even my second serve um, I actually have a pretty aggressive second serve and it's pretty much a a slice I'm not looking to kick or or just throw it in there so I am going to have more double faults and I'm okay with that now we're not aiming for two double faults (laughs) a game but you know um, I am okay with having a little bit uh, higher double fault percentage if ultimately you know I'm getting just a few more free points on it so um it's definitely a focus in my game and something that still needs to get uh, better for me to take the next jump. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because the double faults going up and, and just from watching you, it seems like you are kind of going for it a little bit more. And and I think yeah. there's a direct correlation with that in some of the big wins. I mean, playing top 10 players, four of those wins, three against the top five in 2019, I feel like that, that kind of is the mentality, right? Like you have to go a little bigger. It's better to just die just going all out rather than just sit back and let the top players punish you at least that's what it looks like to me is that oh, you're going absolutely. for it more especially in those big matches absolutely and i think if i'm going to give myself the best chance against these girls that um you know hit bigger serve bigger just have bigger shots in general i am going to have to take my chances and it's, it's not comfortable for me but i think that's my best chance to win and to make them uncomfortable so I definitely, um, you know, I try to make that something that I constantly work on and um, it has, it has proven to be successful. So, you know, it's just about uh, handling it and controlling uh, those serves in, in the right manner. So 
2019 really turned for you, obviously, on the grass court season. Uh, I will ask this question to kind of start off that as a jumping point. Do you consider yourself a grass court player? I, I don't want to say specialist because that's, you know, but but the numbers no, are just yes, insane. No, yes, I'm taking the specialist I mean, title. I'm taking the specialist title. <laughs> nine and two last year. Yeah, I mean, I guess in that case, with the results you had, nine and two last year, and, and really that Wimbledon run, not just getting to the quarterfinals, but the players you beat. What clicked and what do you enjoy most about playing on grass courts? <laughs> Everything. There's not one thing I don't like about it. So, um, well, hey, I, I played my first, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but in Birmingham. And I never stepped foot on a grass court in my entire life. I showed up to Birmingham was and I was like, what is this and where have, that sounds about right. I got in, I got to the semifinals. I never stepped on a grass court. I was like, what is this stuff? And why have I never been on it before? And I actually qualified and got to the semifinals um, that year. It was, uh, you know, my first WTA big, big uh, result. And it was, it was super exciting for me. I lost to Sharapova in three sets in the semis. Yeah, I love everything about it. I think my game suits the grass extremely well. Um, I, you know, I obviously hit a, a flatter ball. I look to be aggressive. I look to finish points at the net. I return well. And last year in particular, when you were just speaking of the second serve, um, that was something that was huge for me. I was mixing up my second serves really well on the grass. And it was kind of an eye-opening experience for me because it got me, it got me uh, a, a lot of free points. And I also, I feel like on the grass in particular, I move, I move well. So I'm able to, you know, retrieve a lot of balls. So gosh, I, I made myself sound like the goat of grass. I didn't mean to do that, but I'm just trying to no. say I do feel comfortable on it. Um, yeah. I do enjoy playing on it. Yeah. It was just uh, an extremely memorable couple of weeks for me. Yeah. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is the schedule. And then that's what I looked at. Like you played that ITF event, the ITF event the last two years and won it in the United Kingdom <laughs> on grass courts, going to her Bosch last year, beating Burton's and then really setting yourself up for a Wimbledon run. How, I mean, it seemed like it was very important to you, Allie, to get those reps in because that's such a short season. So many players don't have the opportunity to play a lot of matches, and there's only a few handful of the, the Federer's, Djokovic, Serena's that can just walk onto a grass court and be fine. But to get those reps seemed very valuable for you. Yeah, I think it's extremely important. You know, my clay court season, um, you know, ended extremely short, and I went 0 for 4. So I was like, hey, let's get to that grass as soon as possible. <laughs> and um, I've always uh, felt really comfortable in Surbiton, and you had good competition that plays there. As well, so it's you know a high level event, and honestly, I took a lot of pride in defending it and beating uh, Rybakova in the final there in three sets was huge for me, um, and it gave me a lot of confidence because I respected her a lot. I respected her results on grass, and she's an extremely difficult player to play against. So for me to be able to come up and beat her gave me uh, a lot of confidence, and I really attribute my grass court season last year to that win in particular. Um, if I had lost that, I don't know if I necessarily would have felt the same way going into Sir Togenbosch and then obviously into Wimbledon. So, uh, thanks to Magda for, you know, giving me that one. I appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I, the, the tournament there, honestly, I think it's, it would honestly be this week if I'm not mistaken. Um, cause Roland Garros would have started last week and then I would have been out of there and at Togenbosch or in, um, <laughs> Serbiton, excuse me. So, yeah. Uh, we were thinking about that, and it's really sad uh, to be missing it. And I don't know if I would have played it this year, but uh, it, it will always be a memorable place for me. 
Certainly seems like it based on the results and what it's meant for your career. Uh, Allie Risk here on the TC Live podcast. <laughs> that that Wimbledon run, what I really like looking back on it was how it started with that win over Vekic where you said, look, I, I finally made history. I, I'm good. I, I won under the new roof. And little did you know. I would like to be making history in like some more meaningful ways yeah. though. <laughs> well, it wasn't a one and done. That's the funny thing is that you went on to beat some some really good players, the reigning French Open champ among them. But it starts with something cool like that, playing under that new roof against Vekic and just propelling from there. Looking at that run, I mean, the first thing that jumps out to me, not only the players you beat, Allie, but they were all three set matches, even the one you lost to Serena. So you were grinding out there and, and having to uh, having to just get your money's worth. You weren't leaving any games unturned. <laughs> That's right. I, I worked for my money those couple of weeks, I will say. <laughs> but, yeah, well, I mean, honestly, like, I I did. I beat, in my mind, uh, the best clay quarter, some of the best clay, clay quarters that exist on tour right now, and between Beckage, uh, Benchich, Barty, um, so I was really proud of that. But like you say, I was just really proud that I was able to buckle down and no match was easy for me. And I was able to find a way and kind of fight through and get through them, which was super exciting. And I was, you know, old Allie, like I was playing Beckett the first day. Old Allie would have been freaking out because I was, we were supposed to play on an outside court and we were kind of held up throughout the day. I can't remember the course of events, but just kept getting postponed postponed there must have been some rain and long matches and then last minute they said oh we gotta you know the next court open is you know center court we're gonna put you out there and old alley would have been like oh shit. like you know i wouldn't have been you know necessarily mentally prepared for that i would have been worried about all the things that i couldn't control but instead i kind of embraced the moment and i felt so excited and honored to be on the court and just playing against who I thought was, you know, another great grass court player on tour right now. So that was super exciting and I think helped propel me, you know, through through the rest of Wimbledon to just get through that one. And going forward, I mean, there was no easy match. Even the Serbian player, Jorovic, that was 9-7 in That's the third. Right. So there was, there was a lot of just got to get back onto the court. We won, move on, another tough match coming up. The Barty match, uh, she was the reigning French Open champ, got to number one in the world, was on top of her game. The three-set win there. What I really liked and appreciated about that one was hearing your coach and fiancé, now husband, Stephen Armitrage, say that it was about the game plan, that they knew Barty, and you knew Barty was a great player, but you had a game plan, and you followed it brilliantly, and it worked. So that seemed, more than any event, more than any match that you've won recently, seemed like a team effort. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Every, every win that I have or every loss, everything, everything that we do out here is a team effort. And, um, you know, I'm a huge believer in having the right people around you and having, um, people that support you, care for you as a, you know, a player, but most importantly as a person. And I've been so lucky in my career. Um, that's one thing I've reflected on is just to have these people that have just cared for me, you know, as a person and wanted me to have success and they're not in it for anything else but that. And it's really hard to find. And I, um, I have been so lucky and blessed to have these people that have fallen in my corner and um, been a part of my team. So whether that's my strength coach or my coach or gosh, my husband, like he fell into my lap. I don't know how I got him, but um, I'm keeping him. And so I just have these people that are just, infinitely supportive and uh, I tell you what it, it, it can't be done un- unless you have that solid support group and people with knowledge people with um, 
just care and love and you know, um, for me, that's everything. So uh, everything that I've achieved in my career is because the people that have, have been around me, no doubt. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You mentioned uh, like the new transformation between old old Alley and new Alley, not in the literal sense because you know you're still young, still an actor. Not, there. well, it could also be literal. <laughs> could, but, be yeah. could be literal. <laughs> but that was probably on full display in the match against Serena. You're playing the greatest of all time, the greatest force the sports the sport has ever seen. And you lose the first set, you dig back in, you're down a break in the third, you break back. Those seemed like opportunities to me where a player, maybe with less mental capacity, less mental uh, you know, strength, would be like, you know what, I've made a nice run here. This is a tough task. I think this is good. But you, you fought, and that was, that was a very, very feisty third set. So that was transformational to me, seeing you out there and, and really digging in on a couple of times where it would have been easy to quit. Yeah, well, like I like I mentioned, uh, Old Alley probably would have quit against Beckett in the in the first round. So we had made huge strides, and um, not quit, but I would have maybe been intimidated by something that was occurring, whether it was a situation or an event or et cetera. So I, you know, I had been making the, you know these huge improvements with the help, you know, of prof- professional help. This isn't a, my lone venture here, but. Um, I, playing against Serena, I, honest to God, did not think I was going to lose the match. And I really thought I was going to win it. And when I didn't, it was really, it it was really unfortunate because um, I thought I put myself in a great position. I thought my game was where it it needed to be to beat her. But Serena came up with what I felt and, you know, uh, people around me said was some of the best tennis that she had played, you know, months prior to that to Wimbledon so uh it was unfortunate she came up with it at that time but she um she did and I did everything that I could and um I put it all on the line and it it just wasn't good enough that day so um but there was nothing there that caused me to hang my head because like I said I really felt like I put it all out there yeah you certainly did and uh I also want to say Great move, not scheduling the wedding until after Wimbledon. That's that confidence factor. <laughs> not having to do the postponement thing when you make a deep run that's unexpected. So, I know. I know. We could not risk that. No. And, and I know it just work on my head, you know? That, that's quite a whirlwind, That would have been, huh? been really tough. You're on center court. Yeah, it was getting the best by whirlwind everybody. I've ever been a part of. It was there. <laughs> Was there? Uh, I wish I could do it every year. <laughs> get, play Serena in a major quarterfinal, and then get married. Yeah, that's a nice run. Exactly. <laughs> tough to beat. Uh, tough to beat for sure. Was there anybody in that moment? Because that was that was when your national profile grew a little bit. Were you kind of getting congratulated? Anybody reach out to you in tennis? That you know, you're like, wow, you saw that. That's so funny. Well, hmm, I think through social media, people would. Uh, throw things out there. I try not to look too much, but um, anytime Billie Jean King messages me, um, I'm always elated and thrilled and honored. So um, she's been someone that actually from my junior career has taken a 
an interest in my game and been there to support me and, and throw me tidbits here and there. So I've always been very appreciative of, of her support and her congratulations. So that definitely means a lot. But you know what? I can't say, like, Roger Federer tweeted me or anything. So I don't know. Like, I guess I'm missing Wait, out on that end. You, you, I don't know yeah. if he saw it or not. You beat Benchich, though, so that probably wasn't good. I did that right. That's very true. <laughs> That's very true. I still do it again and not get a congratulations from him. It's okay. <laughs> I may, uh, yeah. Well, hey, oh, spoils go to the victor. So sorry, Roger. Uh, sorry, your yeah. teammate lost. Uh, I, exactly. I, on a more, I guess, somewhat serious note, you know, looking at that run, great run of the quarterfinals, get your ranking up. Obviously, there's so many tough draws, especially in these premier events. It's not going to get any easier. And the history books of tennis are written men and women with players that make these runs and then we don't necessarily hear from them again, or that's kind of the peak of their career. How were you able to stay motivated? You made that Wuhan final at the end of September, the fourth round of the Australian open. Was that a challenge to kind of just dig back in and be like, that was a great run, but that was the past. There's still more work to do. Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like that this was the moment that I've been waiting for, for, you know, 11 years was to finally have a quote unquote breakout, even though I wish, you know, quarterfinals wasn't just the breakout, um, I feel like, or I felt like, you know, I finally put myself in this position. I have tennis behind me now. I now have a mentality, you know, to kind of match it that we're going to have to take this and run with it. Um, because you know, it, 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 it took me so long to get it. And so to now to, to not devote even more attention and energy to, um, to it would just be an injustice. And, um, this is what I've been waiting for. So, um, you know, we, we got to take it now as far as we can now that, you know, we have some momentum. So it wasn't that it wasn't hard at all, actually. It, it just kind of fueled the fire and, um, gave me a little bit even more clarity and, um, confidence to kind of go forward and play my game. Cause I, I had now evidence that if I can do that, I can have success. So, um, it was kind of just super exciting for me to be able to get back out there and, you know, lay it all on the line and hopefully get some more of the same results. So that was exciting for me. There's that addiction to competition and uh, winning again, just rearing, <laughs> rearing its head out there, <laughs> wanting more of it. Wanting more. Yeah, we always want more. <laughs> I, I actually think, you know, of all those matches, my favorite match of yours that I remember watching in the moment, uh, unfortunately it wasn't a win, but I, I love that. I call it the return match against Barty in Australia because here you have yourself making another run to the fourth round. You're playing the home favorite, the darling, clearly the, the, the front runner, man or woman, to win a Grand Slam in Australia, which they haven't had in forever. And the added bonus of she's kind of out for revenge after you took her out at Wimbledon. Yeah. You lost the first set, dug deep, and that was another match where you, you find a way to be competitive. The crowd's against you, and it's still a thriller where you gave Barty everything she could handle. That was another turning point for me when I watched it because I'm like, okay, this is a player now that even when the deck stacked, the deck is stacked against her, she will undoubtedly fight. Yeah, well, that's what I hope. You know, that's what I'm. What I hope players feel when they draw me in the draw that it's not going to be easy, that it's going to be a fight, and that they're going to have to bring it, and I'm going to be there till the end. You know, that's what I hope. And with all that being said, it was it was great that I was able to fight back in the second set, but we actually, you know, me and as a team, you know, we were really unsatisfied with that. I felt like, uh, even from her end, I don't think either of us played great tennis that entire match. And I think that it was, 
it was really unfortunate the way I played the third set in particular. And that's where I had a little bit of a lapse in mentality. And I kind of went, you know, just a little bit old school alley. And uh, I think the moment kind of got the best of me. And so that was really honestly unfortunate. And that was one of the losses I'd say that, you know, has affected me because it was a, um, everything's an opportunity, but it was a great opportunity. And I did put myself in this position, but um, I kind of, I, I really thought I let myself down. And so obviously credit to Ash, of course, but, you know, it was kind of an unfortunate loss for me. And I think, um, I, I feel like I learned, I learned a bit from it and um, hopefully next time I'm in that position, you know, I'll be able, I'll be able to deliver. Does the uh, lack of crowd support in that situation, does that make a difference? Do you fuel off it? We've seen it kind of go both ways for some players. Well, I, I actually thought they were extremely respectful. And, yeah. I mean, that, that's their hometown. That's their hometown hero. So that's what they should be doing. And if anything, I think I lost my focus a couple of times because they were hilarious. They were <laughs> chanting, let's go, let's go, Barty. Let's come on. Oh, let's go, Barty come on, let's go party or whatever that Barbie song is. And I was like, Oh my gosh, these people are hilarious. Uh, and so it kind of took me out of my focus for a second. Yeah, they, killed from you that with ki- they killed you with kindness almost. That, that's crazy. I know. <laughs> I know. I was like, these people are really creative. I, I can appreciate this. And then here I am. I'm like double faulting and doing all kinds of dumb stuff, but <laughs> that's okay. Moving on. <laughs> I do, uh, I do want to talk to you a little bit about the American bond that seems to be building on the women's side. There's so many uh, great American players, um, 17 right now in the top 100, and most of most of them are within your age range in that 20s, kind of early 30s age range. It seems like there is, I won't say a friendly rivalry, but you definitely get along. You play on the Fed Cup together. There seems to be a real bond there, and there seems to be kind of that rising tide lifts all boats mentality where. We're seeing breakthroughs at different points. We're seeing, you know, one player make a deep run followed by another. Do you feel that bond as well with your fellow compatriots? Absolutely. I think um, now more than ever, I think American tennis is um, in a great spot, just not from a tennis perspective, but just from a, um, you know, support and, uh, you know, acquaintance perspective. I think we're all, uh, we all do get along and it is um, a, a good atmosphere. I don't think we all necessarily go out and eat together all the time, but we're there and we support each other. And there's so many awesome personalities involved, which is, is really cool. And I think uh, there's just so many of us. So it's only, it's only, um, you know, plausible that we're all going to have success at one time or another. So um, I do think that there's a factor of, you know, Hey, well, if this person's doing it, well, I can too. And I think, um, I think that's huge because um, that's the way it should be. You know, people should be driving off one another and getting confidence uh, in someone else's success and and um, using it to fuel themselves. So I think it's a really great atmosphere. I do credit Kathy Rinaldi with a lot of the transformation of um, the dynamic of, you know, women's American tennis. She does an amazing job as Fed Cup captain to bring everyone together, especially when we're on the team and to support each other, be there for one another. And I think, um, you know, she's created a great atmosphere from that perspective. So credit to Kathy and um, it's just a good group of girls, you know, and obviously the ones that are more my age, uh, Christina McHale, Lauren Davis, Coco Vandaway, Shelby Rogers, we've literally gone through juniors together. So um, we have a lot of history behind us. So it's, it's uh, it's really nice to have everyone succeeding at the same time. 
you guys all definitely seem like, you know, for an individual sport where camaraderie is not going to be necessarily the same level because you are competing against each other in the same tournament. There's that, there's that factor of respect and, and obviously it, it seems like there's been the lighter moments as well. A couple more questions and topics here for uh, Allie Risk before yeah. I let you go. This has been a blast here on the TC live podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's been awesome. It has been. It's been very fun. Uh, the, the, the issues right now going on with the pandemic, obviously much bigger than tennis, but you're on kind of an, you're in an interesting vantage point for one of the hot button topics. That's compensation for lower ranked players. Cause you've been on the lower ranked player side. Now you're in the top 20. How do you feel like the tour and the events have been handling the current situation? Is there more that can be done? And what, if anything would be the next best step for making sure everybody's doing okay and, and taken care of? Yeah, look, I think it's an extremely difficult position for everyone involved whether it's the tours or the players and it's not ideal it's not what anyone wants um i think the most ideal situation would be to find a cure for covid and the tour get back to where you know uh it should be so um i can't say much from Darren. i know steve simon and the board are working extremely hard and uh i have full confidence and Steve, that he's doing everything he can to look out for everyone. Um, I've been very impressed with uh, how he's handled the situation, and so I'm in full support. Um, obviously, it's unfortunate that people, you know, are struggling right now. And like you said, I was one of them, and um, we we know what it's like. So I can only, you know, offer uh, hope that the situation will subside soon, and you know, we can, you know, get back to playing. So. Um, that that's as much as I can say. It seems like the the loudest voices in the room have been championing some support at the top of the game, which is good to see. You want to see a, a, a fully compensated tour, but we are all realistic that it's just a terrible time. And like you said, a cure would be the best thing. We're just trying to get back to playing some tennis and, and watching you guys play some tennis, especially. A couple other things I wanted to touch on. Who has your personally toughest opponent to play been? Who's somebody that's given you uh, trouble? Well, I played Pushkova, I don't know how many times, and uh, I haven't beat her once. I had a feeling you'd say that. I don't Actually, have the number in front me, of me. I think you beat me when I was, what does? I said, I had a feeling you'd say that. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I, I actually think I might have beat her or with her sister. I don't even know. Back when I was like Who 17. So that doesn't even count, but. I I really, you know, have struggled against her. And I don't know if it was Vita Scarlettis or who said it, but it was like, you don't beat Vita 16 times in a row. Who said that? I don't it know. Vetus, but yeah. some, it was Vita. Okay. So I'm having a feeling maybe that's going to be my push to the experience, but I hope, I hope not. Um, but, um, yeah, she's, she's just tough. I mean, she um, she serves well. She dictates 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 points well well I can't even say dictates um dictates points well she you know she she's obviously an all-around player so she's been top five for I don't know how many years so uh hopefully I get another crack at her soon and maybe it'll go my way <laughs> that was a, that was a, a pretty solid choice given the you know she's hitting close to 500 aces every year uh obviously not fun to play yeah. against what about I feel th- like all of them have come against me but maybe I'm wrong <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to do the percent. I'll get a pie graph going. I'll send that to you. Uh, who has been, uh, who's somebody that's under the radar, like good, that maybe the rest of, of the public doesn't know about someone in your opinion, that's got some serious game that is poised to, when we play tennis again, go on a run. 
Interesting question. Hmm. Wow. Everyone's tricky in their own right, obviously. I don't know why I keep coming back to Sai Sai Zhang. Uh, yeah, I'm friends that's... with Sai Sai, so maybe that's why. But Sai Sai, she she is like she's a top player. I mean, she's like in yeah. top thirty five, so she's super good. But her ranking reflects it. But I think that she's really tricky, and there are not many players that play like her. So when you do play her, you you know you have to be really locked in, and because uh, she makes a lot of balls, she's a great athlete. So I think. Uh, She's someone that if you, you, you get in the draw and, uh, you know, you're going to have to show up and, and put in a good day's work. So I might say side side. That's a good answer. That's somebody that if a player at the top sees them in their bracket, they're probably not thrilled. They probably give a little eye yeah. or something. Absolutely. Exactly. Have you ever, <laughs> when, when you first became a pro tennis player, were you ever starstruck? Whether it's a player, just a celebrity that's gotten court access. Has there ever been a time when you were maybe a young player, maybe even currently where you've just been starstruck by someone you've, you've been in close contact with. Oh yeah. When I'm around Serena, I feel like I can't even speak. I've been on the psycho <laughs> team with her. I've had to play doubles with her and I'm like, I don't even know how to act right now. Like, and she's so chill and she's been so nice when she's been on the team, but I'm like, Oh my God, I don't even know what to do right now. So I still get uh, starstruck by Serena. But not really. I mean, I'm not really starstruck from the guy. They're all so chill and just like Federer. He's just all, he'll walk past you. He says hi to everyone. He smiles. Like it's pretty. It's pretty cool. So the guy's not so much. But um, I would definitely have to say Serena. I would imagine it's like you know a real life, well, a real life rock star. You're just like, oh hey, it's Serena again. I know she knows me, but even that's got to be weird. Like Serena knows who I am. Must be pretty nice. Well, that's it. And I feel like I don't, like I'll see her and I'll almost doubt. Like, does she remember me? Does like she know who I am? <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> and Allie, Allie, we all know that tennis players travel as much or more than any athlete. What's what's life like on the road? What are some hobbies you do to kind of keep the mind going? Is there is there a lot of uh, you know Netflix? Are you a gamer? What what gets you going through those long road trips, those Asian swings, and those trips to Europe? There's definitely no gaming. Okay. I do enjoy watching uh, Netflix. I love my uh, Netflix. I especially love their autobiographies. They've come up with some really good ones. Uh, or like the documentaries, excuse me. And um, I, when my husband's on the road, when Steven's with me, it's amazing because he's a huge foodie and he does all kinds of research and will end up, you know, picking an amazing restaurant for us to go and try. So we love doing that. Other than that, you know, there is a lot of downtime. And unfortunately, I'd have to send, say I spend a lot of it looking at interior design stuff online, which I don't know if that's something I should say, but I do do that. And um, talking to my family, we do a lot of FaceTime and, you know, when I'm, when I'm out of the country, especially. So that part uh, is really nice. Nothing too crazy. I haven't taken any uh, online courses. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I don't multitask very well. So, yeah, that's that's about it. Pretty, pretty chill and relaxed. Okay. That, that's that's pretty good use of your time, though, with some interior designing, taking, uh, going out and te- taking in all the new delicatessens and all the food places you can find. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's actually crazy during this time because we, Steve and I will reminisce. We'll be like, oh, at this point... Last year, we'd be in Rome, and then we'll remember the restaurants that we tried and the places that we went. So, uh, you know, it's really cool to have those memories and to form those uh, times, you know, that you can reflect on. 
As a couple more here, as a native of uh, Pittsburgh, PA, born and raised, have you rooted for anybody more than Sidney Crosby? <laughs> Sidney Crosby's still my number one. The, the funny part is, is I don't even watch them. I just root for Sidney Crosby. So, like, okay, I, I don't I know even know how the Penguins do. <laughs> I, I think I can Steven's read this. Well Okay. Steven's well aware of the situation, so it's okay. I can state it. But, yeah, Sidney Crosby uh, is my favorite. I love the Pittsburgh Steelers, but honestly, I'm so tired of Ben Roethlisberger. I feel mm-hmm. like it's time that they, they treat him. Um, but um, <laughs> I do I do uh, love the Pittsburgh Steelers, and um, I don't really follow baseball too much, but I know they're not too too shabby. Yeah, staying pretty loyal. That, that's good. Uh, and the last, one yeah. I, the last one on this quick notes I have is – you know, I had to bring this up. Is it true that your dad is Robert De Niro from Meet the Parents? Because <laughs> for everybody out there listening, we're talking former Secret hilarious. Service FBI investigator that <laughs> by your own account, you've said I'm 100% paranoid yeah. because of that upbringing. Oh, yeah. he's He is absolutely Robert De Niro. And you can ask anyone that's ever met my dad and they will say he is Robert De Niro. And probably to even more extreme than Robert De Niro. Oh, okay. Um he is 76 at this point, so he's starting to chill out just a little bit, but his paranoia has not subsided. So, unfortunately, I've been left with that, and I'm paranoid about absolutely everything. But, yes, my dad is absolutely Robert Shiro. <laughs> please, please tell me that for Steven it went better than it did for Ben Stiller. Just, just give me that. It did. And from that perspective, my dad was different. Stephen asked him. Yeah, he saw the movie. My He's dad like, I said, can't go this hard. I saw, he saw yeah. the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's hilarious. Yeah. And my dad was like, do whatever the heck you want. <laughs> so he was much more chill in that perspective than Robert. Well, <laughs> a- Allie Riss, this has been a blast. Um, I do want, I yeah, do, it was so much fun. I, I do want to say one last thing. And, and you know, you mentioned you're, you're 29 years old. This isn't, you know, this isn't tennis 30 years ago. So I think it's reasonable to say, and, and you probably feel like it yourself, these next three, four years, which 30 used to be that number of, you know, this is, this is like old age and tennis with training, with nutrition, with, with how much veteran presence there is in the game. There's a real possibility that you are now just entering your prime. So I, I would be optimistic that the best tennis is in front of you. I couldn't agree more. And I really believe that. And I think that's the most exciting thing about, you know, what I got going on here is that, uh, you know, I do think the best is yet to come, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. So that's why uh, if uh, COVID could leave ASAP, that would be great. It would be great. We, we look forward to seeing you in Charleston as well. That's going to be a fun event, uh, 16 players in that. And, uh, yeah, and I It'll also awesome. should, should mention, through marriage, related to our own Prakash Armitrage, uh, there, yes. there's just not much more you can say about that guy. There's puppies, there's workout videos, <laughs> there's life advice. It's just... It's a five-tool he player. He it all going on. Yeah, there's no weaknesses. <laughs> that's amazing. Maybe a little too much gym time, but, you know, that's okay. I thought that at first, <laughs> you know, I thought that at first, given how, how he was a talented tennis player, maybe get more well-rounded. But now we're seeing, you know, the other side of him with the, with the dog and with uh, some other things as well. Oh, I think yeah. He's, with Jonah. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah and he definitely has a lot going on. Owning his skills as an interviewer, there's a lot. I don't know how he sleeps. I don't think he does, actually. I don't think you do. I don't think any of the amitrages do. No. Yeah, (laughs) it's in their genes. (laughs) Well, Iris, this was a blast. Thanks for coming on the TCU podcast. June 23rd, Charleston. That's when a 16-player team event that Allie will be playing in takes place, along with Bianca Andreescu. 
Sophia Kennan, Sloan Stevens, Madison Keys, to name a few. Check out the TC Live podcast on tennis.com, on the podcast network there, and on all your podcast platforms. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the TC Live podcast. Allie Risk, thank you again, and good luck going forward. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.